today, what I want to do is I want to share with you a little bit about Joseph's time in prison. And it's a pivotal part of Joseph's story because it sets him up for really what is the, the pivotal moment in Joseph's story, that is being led into the palace. And uh, we're going to just share for a few minutes this morning, and then what we're going to do is we're actually going to spend some time, some extended time today, just seeking God, worshiping God. And I really want to just invite you even right now just to be ready to respond to God today. I believe that, uh, that if we open our hearts to him, that God will meet us right exactly where we're at today, wherever that might be. So I just want to ask you just to prepare your hearts for that. But as you know, for those of you who've been here for the month of March, we've been looking at Joseph's story. And we've been seeing how God uses all sorts of people, the good, the bad, the ugly, to help accomplish his divine purposes here on earth. And we've seen the story of Joseph move in, in several different directions. We've seen him go from being the, the, the favorite child with a dream to being the forgotten slave uh, in a pit or in the house of Potiphar. And for a very small moment we see last week, Joseph's story takes a turn for the better in that he rises in Potiphar's house. He's blessed by God. It seems like everything he touches turns to gold. And then once again, though, by a turn of circumstances, Joseph's story plunges back to the very bottom. You know, he ends up in Potiphar's, or sorry, in Pharaoh's prison, which ironically, but I don't think coincidentally, uh, Joseph calls the prison his pit. He, he gives the name, the prison a name, and he titles it the place where his story sort of began, in a pit. He says, this prison is my pit. I'm sure if he had Simon and Garfunkel's Hello Darkness, My Old Friend, he would listen to it on repeat because this darkness was his friend. This was an old, familiar friend. Once again, he found himself in a pit. And now, for those familiar with Joseph's story, you know, we know that these things are going to turn about in a really good way, so we're not all terribly worried about Joseph in prison, all right? You know, we're not so worried about Joseph's suffering because we know soon enough there will be justice. There will be providence. Joseph will find success. And so we're not terribly worried, are we? We know that what others intend for evil, God uses for good, as, you know, the end of the story tells us. But by doing this, I think one of the things we can do is we can inevitably skip over Joseph's suffering. We can skip over his suffering, and as much as we know and rejoice that Joseph's story is a rags-to-riches sort of story, I don't think we should run past Joseph's suffering. We shouldn't run past the prison in order to get to the palace, because suffering is a central part to Joseph's story. And sadly, for many of us, I think all of us at some point in our lives, suffering will be central to our story as well. You know, it's often been asked, we humans have often asked this question, why do we suffer? Why do humans suffer? And the answer to that question is, we don't know. You know, and it's not as if we haven't tried really, really hard to understand. You know, books have been written. A lot of books have been written. In fact, there's an entire theological discipline devoted to the question of evil and suffering and how it relates to God's goodness known as theodicy. It's an entire theological discipline, yet at the end of it all, we just really don't have an answer that if we were given an answer, that will satisfy our, our, the question of why do we suffer. And I mean, even if we did have an answer, could that answer possibly prevent or erase the suffering that we go through? No, of course not. We need to remember that Joseph is not the only person in the Bible who is highly favored, who is highly exalted, yet 
had to suffer. You know, Job had to suffer. Yet he was considered to be the most righteous man to have ever lived. Was highly favored, yet he suffered tremendously. David was anointed to be Israel's king, a man after God's own heart, the greatest king of Israel to have ever lived, yet he too had to suffer at the hands of his predecessor. You know, Daniel was raised up by King Darius in Babylon, yet he had to suffer. He went all the way down to the pit with the lions. In fact, a lot of Daniel's story is modeled after Joseph's. Esther, a Jew, made queen of Persia, yet even she suffered, had to put her very life on the line in order to save her people. These were all men and women raised by God to a high place, yet still had to suffer. And so the question that I want to ask you today is, what if there was a better question to be asked? That the question that we as followers of Jesus need to ask is not the question, why do I suffer? But instead, the question should be, how should I suffer? How does one suffer, and how does one suffer well? If suffering is endemic to this human condition, is it possible that through our suffering, we can suffer well? Well, as Joseph sat in prison, he did not know the why to his suffering. But I, what I see when I look at Joseph sitting there in prison is that did not stop him from suffering well. And it's not as if Joseph knew, right? In a few years' time, it's all going to work out. In a few years' time, what you mean for evil, God is going to turn to good. The only thing Joseph really knew is that somehow, some way, God was with him, and that was enough. Enough to suffer through whatever situation he found himself in. To serve through his suffering to find peace and joy in his suffering, to keep the dream alive in his suffering. How many of you believe that Joseph's dream, he kept believing the dream even in prison? Anyone? You know, I may not be able to answer that question today, why you have or why you will have to one day suffer. But what I can do today is tell you, when one does experience suffering, that there is a way that you and I can suffer well. That we don't need to focus so much on the why, but we need to ask ourselves the question, how? How do I suffer well? And the answer is we look to Christ's own suffering. We need to look to Christ. Because you know, the Christian creeds, they all mention the same thing, that Jesus Christ came to earth and went on earth, he suffered. You know, the creeds say that he suffered under Pontius Pilate. The gospel writers viewed Christ as the fulfillment of Isaiah's suffering servant prophecy, of a servant who would be highly exalted by God, yet he would be despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. Isaiah 53.10 says, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hands. And we may never know why we suffer, but what we can know today is why Christ suffered. And why Christ suffered was so that what was meant for evil against God could be turned into something good. And not only that, but when you and I suffer, when brothers and sisters of Jesus suffer, Jesus Christ also enters into our suffering. You see, not only does Christ suffer for us on our behalf, but he suffers with us. You know, Christianity makes no promise that in this life, on this side of heaven, 
that you won't experience suffering, but that when you do suffer, the promise of Christianity is that Christ shares in our suffering. He enters into your suffering so that you might enter into his healing. And so quickly, I frame all that as we turn to Genesis chapter 40 and 41. And I just want to quickly today show you what happens in Joseph's life as he sits there in prison. Remember, Joseph doesn't know the why to his circumstances. He knows the who that is with him, and that is enough. But he doesn't know the why. And so in prison, we meet two of Pharaoh's servants who are put in prison alongside Joseph. One is the chief cupbearer who is in charge of the wine. That's literally what his title means. His title in Hebrew means the one who tests drink. He is the captain of drinking. Okay, that's his title. That's what he does. And then there with the captain of drinking, we have the captain of baking, the chief baker of Pharaoh. So it's interesting that Pharaoh or that Joseph spends a lot of his time with these chiefs. He has Potiphar, the chief of police, and he's now with the chief cupbearer and the chief, the chief baker. And each of these two prisoners have a dream. And in both their dreams, their dreams are the same. Their heads are being lifted up and they don't know what it means. And Joseph overhears them talking about their dreams and he says, I think I might know what your dream means. You know, I have an interest in dreams. I have uh, some experience with dreams. Do you think I could maybe have a poke at interpreting your dreams? They agree. And so he says to the cupbearer, he says, this is what your dream means. Your head will be lifted up and it will be lifted up in honor. You will be restored back to your rightful place. Pharaoh will restore you. He will lift your head up in honor. And then he turns to the, to the, the baker and he says, your head will be lifted up too, just off your head. <laughs> your head will be lifted up and just it will be taken off your head. Like, not the greatest bedside manner, mind you. But this is what Joseph says. And that's a terrible thing to say on a, on a bake sale, eh? Morning, like... For all you bakers out there, that your head will be lifted up just off your head. Uh, if you, this interpretation comes true, Joseph says, will you remember me? Will you remember me? Chapter 40, verse 14 says, only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me this kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, so to get me out of this place, get me out of this house. Don't you find it amazing that even as Joseph suffers, he is still willing to alleviate the suffering of other people? That the one who's given a dream is now the one interpreting the dreams? I think that can preach right there. I think you can go with that. You know, speaking of how to suffer well, do you want to know how to suffer well? See, if you are suffering here today, I think one of the best things that you can do to alleviate your own suffering is to find someone who is in a worse condition than you are and to figure out some way to help lift them up. You know, we're taught in this world that when you're suffering, you need to go into yourself. You need to retreat. You need to lock yourself away, bury yourself in your bed covers, and just sit there in your suffering. But I think the Christian task that we are given in, in this world is to, we are called to help alleviate the suffering of others. That the church is meant to be a community that suffers with that comes alongside others in their times of need. You know, Joseph says, remember me. Would you remember me when you go to Pharaoh? Similar to like the thief on the cross said to Jesus, you know, when you, come, when you, are, you, when you, when you go, when you come back in your kingdom, will you remember me? And Jesus says to the thief, what does he say? Well, today you will be with me in paradise. I will remember you. 
But verse 23 of chapter 40 says, Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. So he's forgotten. And he remains forgotten for two years until it is now Pharaoh who is the one having a dream. In fact, Pharaoh has two dreams. Do you notice the doubling taking place? You have two servants with two dreams, and now Pharaoh has two dreams of his own. And in his dreams, he sees bundles of grain and a dream about seven cows. He has these really rich and good stock of grain and these seven fat cows. And he has these, this bad stock of grain and seven skinny cows. And in the dreams, seven bad things come up to eat the seven good things. Yet when the skinny cows eat the fat cows, they don't gain any weight. They remain skinny. And the captain of drinking is reminded of Joseph in prison who once interpreted his own dream. And so he tells Pharaoh about this person in prison, this Hebrew slave and, and prisoner, in which Pharaoh calls for him. And it says in verse 14 of chapter 41 that they quickly brought him out of the pit. Out of the pit. There it is. And when Joseph is shaved, and they placed on him new garments. You see, it's always about the clothes, isn't it, with Joseph? You know, you always watch those movies, right, with that, that guy, that, that hero of the story, who's sort of at the very bottom, and he lets his beard kind of grow out. And when he's finally ready to, like, come to the rescue or to do something good in the story, he's always shaving his beard, right? Like, he's always, like, looking in the mirror and shaving his beard, and then you can just see the music pumping. You know, that's kind of what's happening in Joseph's story. There's foreshadowing. You know, we're sort of getting the idea that the story is about to shift, that the story is about to change. And he comes before Pharaoh and he interprets the dream, and this is what the dream means. Seven years of abundance will be, have, will be had in Egypt, followed by seven years of famine, which will be so intense that the seven years of abundance will be forgotten. And he says, here's what you should do. Find a guy who can do something with this situation. Find someone who can, you know, take this really, really, this bad thing that's about to happen and turn it into something good. And here's what Pharaoh says in verse 38 of chapter 41. Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Where can we find a man in whom rests the Spirit of Elohim? The, the Ruach, the breath of God. Where can we find someone in whom is God's, God's Spirit rests? Because this is another significant turning point. Because up to this point, we're told that the Lord is with Joseph. But the entire time the Lord is with Joseph, and now as the circumstances of Joseph's story begin to change for the better, we learn that God is not only with Joseph, but his spirit is within him. You know, I mentioned last week that as Adam and Eve sinned against God and, and, and had to leave the garden, that the descendants of Adam and Eve, the patriarchs, Jacob, Isaac, or Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, are moving further and further and further away from God's image. The further they get from the garden, they are moving further away from that image of God. And, and there's no mention of God's Spirit at all since the very beginning, since the garden, since Genesis 1 and 2, do we see the mention of God's breath, His Spirit, His Ruach, the Spirit of Elohim, until we get to the story of Joseph. And here, for the very first time since the garden, we see the mention of the word spirit. And as Joseph slowly turns back into the image of God, there's no coincidence that for the first time since the garden, God's spirit is mentioned. You know, the, real, the only real answer that I can give you today, if, if I really wanted to take an attempt at that question, why do humans suffer, is that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
That's, that's the best I can give you. And that, because instead of choosing God's Spirit to guide me and to lead me and to teach me, I've chosen to lead myself. I've chosen to live my life in my own strength and in my own power, and that is why I suffer. Now, I'm not saying to you today that the reason why you're suffering specifically today is because of a result of a specific sin or a specific wrongdoing against God. God, that's not what I'm saying at all. But I'm saying that suffering is endemic to our human condition because our human condition is sinful by nature. But when we come to Jesus, when we come to Christ today, when he places the Spirit of God within you, your suffering, while it is endemic to our human condition, in Christ, your suffering can be redemptive because of your new spiritual condition. That is, if anyone is in Christ today, you are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And for Joseph, at this point in the story, the new has come. The old is gone. The days of being in the very pit and in the prison are gone, and the new has come. Yeah, Joseph has gone down to the pit, but now by the Spirit of God, he is being raised to the palace, just as the Spirit of God has raised you and I from the pit of death to a new life in Christ. Pharaoh raises Joseph up to rule over his house. In the same way that God created you and I, he created humanity to be his vice regents here on earth, to be representatives on earth, to rule over creation on his behalf. This is, this is the Genesis story. This is the garden story being played out. Pharaoh puts Joseph as second in command, his vice regent, his representative, and he gives Joseph his very ring. And he puts on Joseph his very clothes. There it is again. It always comes back to the clothes. And he puts Joseph in his second chariot, right behind Pharaoh, as his representative. And what does Pharaoh say to the people of Egypt? What does Pharaoh cry out to the nation of Egypt as they ride in their chariots? He cries out, bow the knee. Bow the knee to Joseph. Bow the knee to Joseph. This is Joseph's dream of the day, one day, when others would bow down to him. This is his dream coming true. And so the story ends today, and in this moment, I just want to sort of set up the story where Pastor Sam's going to bring it home next week, close the story off. In verse 56 to 57 of chapter 41, So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. For the famine was severe in the land of Egypt, Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. So today, what I want to do today as we close is I just want to call your attention today away from your circumstances. Today, if you're suffering, if you are going through a, a pit, a moment like that feels like a pit or a prison, I want to call your mind away from that today. And I want to call your, you to place your mind on God's spirits. That doesn't mean by calling your mind away that those circumstances change. 
But I want to call your mind today onto God's Spirit because the story that we see today is not a story of what one man can do in times of suffering. No, no, that's, let's leave that for Hollywood. That's the Hollywood story. That's the secular story. The story of human triumph. The story of a human overcoming all of the challenges that they experienced earlier on and then triumphing. Let's leave that for Hollywood. No, today is the story of what God can do through one man by his Spirit in times of suffering. It's not what we can do in our hard times, in our difficult times. Today's story is about what God can do through his spirit in times of suffering. And how Joseph suffered well is the same answer to how Joseph prospered well. And the answer is by God's spirit. The spirit was with Joseph and the spirit was in Joseph. And because of that, his suffering was redemptive by nature, meaning there was purpose and meaning beyond what Joseph could know. And so today, whatever circumstance you find yourself in, if there is suffering in your life, if you're in a season of life that doesn't, that feels like you are in a pit, I want to call you today to be led by God's Spirit. Because it's not by might nor by power that we overcome, but it is by God's Spirit And it is by his spirit that at the right time and the right place in your life, God will trade in your dirty rags and he will clothe you with the garments of his salvation. He will cover you with the robes of his righteousness, just as Joseph exchanged his dirty rags for new clothes. So for the remaining time we have together this morning, I just want to invite you to stand to your feet. We want to do something a little bit different. A few weeks ago, Pastor Ron shared the message on the Holy Spirit. He closed his message off by simply opening up the very front of the church and just inviting everyone just to come to seek God, just to be, to come stand before God and to respond to him today in that moment. And so today, I want to do something similar in this morning of worship. And I want to invite you to come respond today to the Holy Spirit. By coming to this place, right here at the front of the church, historically has been called the altar. You know, the altar is a place where we all go to sacrifice, to, to lay ourselves down. And that's why it's been called the altar. But it's really a symbolic place where we step out of, of where we're at and we were symbolizing this, 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 this going towards something new, something different. And I think over the last two years, a lot of us, we felt stuck, haven't we? Physically, we've been stuck. We've been put in the, the same place because of restrictions and so forth and because of, uh, you know, the virus. But I think that, 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 that we've not just been stuck physically, but I think we've been in a place where we've been stuck. Some, for some of you maybe feel this more than others, stuck spiritually. And I just believe that as we enter into this new season, one of the things that we really just need to do is we just need to step out of this comfort zone that we are in. We just need to step out into this, this new place where God is calling us. And I think today what I want to do is just begin just by inviting you just to step out from where you're at, just to come to the front today and just to be with God as we worship Him. Maybe today you come and you just want to be in His presence. Literally, that's the only reason you come. It's just, God, I want to abide in you. I just want to be closer to you. I want to draw near to you today. And I just want to do that by stepping out of my chair where it's comfortable, where it's safe. And I want to step out to this place that feels a little bit uncomfortable. And I want to worship you. Maybe today you want to come forward today because what you desire is you're seeking something from God. Maybe you are asking God for a fresh filling of His spirits. Maybe there's a need. Maybe there's something God's that you're asking specifically for discernment or wisdom in something, in some decision or, or some specific need. It can be one or it can be both. 
or maybe you don't have any other reason than you just want more of God in your life. But I just want to invite you right now to come. So there's no pressure, there's no expectation, but right now we're going to spend the next 15 minutes or so just worshiping God. I just want to invite you right now to let this be a place of worship. Let's now just worship together.